0: Uncertainties of all sorts, environmental, market-based and political, are on the rise as the world faces climate and environmental change. In this episode of the IDS Between the Lines podcast, Arashmi Singh interviews Professor Ian Schoons from IDS, whose book Pastoralism, Uncertainty and Development makes the case that recognising how pastoralists make productive use of variability and embrace uncertainty is central to understanding how pastoral systems in marginal dry land and montane systems work. They argue that learning lessons from pastoralists is therefore important for all of us as well as ensuring that development efforts are more effective across the world's rangelands, where millions of pastoralists live. This podcast offers wider lessons for rethinking development policy and practice for today's uncertain, turbulent world.
1: Hello everyone, I'm Rashmi Singh, an affiliate researcher and the research engagement and communication consultant at Pastoralists. Pastoralism, Uncertainty, and Resilience. Pastors is a European Research Council-funded project coordinated by IDS and the European University Institute. And I welcome Professor Ian Skoums today to this Between the Lines podcast to discuss the new open access book, Pastoralism, Uncertainty, and Development, published by Practical Action that he edited. Welcome, Ian.
2: Thanks very much, Marashmi. Very happy to be here and nice to be speaking to you.
1: Ian, the book is a fascinating contribution to pastoral studies and also pastoral uh, development studies and gives an opportunity to the readers to travel across the world of pastoralism in Asia, Africa and Europe. And the book introduces the reader to a diverse setting of pastoralism from Sardinia, islands in Italy to high altitude, cold desert of Amdo. Uh, Before I get going and speak more about the book, perhaps you can let the listeners know what pastoralism is and why is it special.
2: Thanks, and thanks for that introduction, Rashmi. Um, Yeah, I mean, pastoralism can be defined in many ways, but I define it as a mobile, extensive form of livestock production in rangelands and rangelands as you say com- uh, cover everything from dry dry lands and deserts right through to the high mountains and hills of different parts of the world and in fact rangelands are about half the world's land surface so this is a massively important uh, form of land use and set of livelihoods so the most important thing f- to my mind about pastoralism is that it is a system of making use of land and resources and engaging with markets and and processes of production that, that combines with with variability because the variability of these these environments is the key feature you can't do any old form of production in these settings you have to have the mobile extensive system that pastoralists follow and this is why we, we focus on, on variability and uncertainty and try and learn the lessons from pastoralists right across the world.
1: Like you said, um, uncertainty and variability, uh, I did notice that the central theme that runs across the book is uncertainty. So why uncertainty? Can you explain this concept more? And why do you think it's an important lens to study pastoralism?
2: So uncertainty, as I said, is is uh, is central to understanding pastoralism and uncertainty can be defined as, you know, when you don't know the likelihood of future outcomes, and that's really common in these sort of settings, you don't know when the rainfall is going to fall, You don't know what the market conditions are going to be, you don't know whether a conflict is going to break out, you don't know what political conditions are going to be next month, next year, whatever. Too often, external actors, policymakers, development workers, and so, and so on, assume that things are not uncertain, but they're, they're risky. And risk can be controlled. Risk is where you can, can manage, you can calculate, you can predict. And very often, all our development interventions are focused on risk, not uncertainty. And so what we, we do in the book, by looking through the eyes of pastoralists, really thinking about pastoralism as a system of production and livelihood that is centred on variability and uncertainty, we think about how pastoralists can navigate uncertainty, not just respond to risk. And that explains a number of things. It explains the remarkable skills that pastoralists have. I mean, people have always said, oh, pastoralism is finished. It's an old form of, of production. These are livelihoods that are... Uh, you know, from a previous age, people must settle. People must become agriculturalists. People must move to town. But pastoralism persists, and pastoralism continues to thrive in many of the places where we work. So, what we what we look at in the book is how pastoralists respond to environmental variability, uh, climate change, market uh, variability, prices moving up and down, political variability, conflict and conflict, how, and how they use a variety of skills and practices to respond to uncertainties. And this is just very different to what conventional development uh, tries to do. Convention, conventional development tries to settle people. It tries to, to manage risks through early warning systems, insurance systems, and all the rest of it. And it often just doesn't work. And this is why we've seen a catalogue of failure of development in pastoral areas and why we think a different lens, a different perspective um, allows us to think about pastoralism uh, in a new way that suggests, as I'm sure we'll talk about in a bit, uh, a, a new way of thinking about pastoral policy.
1: Yeah, it is indeed a very beautiful and very interesting concept to study pastoralism and to me also while you're talking about it and when I read the book it looks like how study of pastoralism is so well connected to uncertainty and uncertainty to pastoralism it's like to define one one should engage with another exactly Um, that yeah and then this um this also reminds me of one of the quotes that how pastoralism in itself can be seen it's in the book it can be seen as infrastructure, and it's populated with network of high reliability professionals, where every different actor or people have different role that help them go on with the uncertain situation. Even in my own work, when I studied, uh, so I studied this, you know, uh, raising ban and Sikkim and how a political act of grazing ban completely shut down pastoralism. But now after 20 years, pastoralism emerging again in the system. So it's like, yes, uncertainty, dealing with uncertainty is indeed central to pastoralism. Um, Another, because it's another important theme that I noticed uh, that run across the book is of mobility. This clearly is crucial for pastoralists when responding to uncertainty. Will you tell us more about what, I mean, which chapter, how different chapters deal with this important concept of mobility?
2: Yeah, well, mobility is absolutely an essential um, uh, tactic or strategy that the pastoralists all over the world use to respond to variability and uncertainty. And all of the chapters in different ways deal with mobility. But mobility looks different in different places, and that's why you know, a book of this sort, which covers a huge number of different uh, settings, uh, allows us to understand what are the policy mechanisms, what are the uh, approaches that, that can support pastoralists to maintain uh, mobility, which is such a crucial part of their livelihoods. Now, in the past, of course, people would, would move uh, often over long distances, part of, of long transhumancies, but very often those type of uh, forms of mobility are no longer possible. Um, they're not possible because uh, the land has been encroached, because investments have, have occurred, but that you know, people don't have access to, to the ability to move to such an extent. Um, and equally, some people you know, want to, to stay put at least for portions of the year, um, people may want to attend schools. people may want to attend uh, clinics. people may want to engage with with market relations which require people to to have um, have locations that are are more fixed but despite all these changes, mobility persists and it's really just an essential part of pastoralism, even if it looks different to the past so moving across the chapters, Natasha Maru, for example, looks at uh, Rabari pastoralists in Kutch in Western India, and a lovely chapter exploring how multiple forms of mobility, daily mobility, seasonal mobilities, mobilities between years, um, are deployed by, by these pastoralists, often through the type of networks, reliability networks that you were talking about before, and this always involves interactions with others, in this case, very often farmers, farmers who then allow them onto their farms once the cotton has been harvested, for example. Um, and, and there's a sort of relationship that develops, sometimes conflictual, but very often um, cooperative. Palden uh, looks at uh, pastoralism in Amdo Tibet, in China. And he looks at how, uh, how livestock and people move up and down between summer and winter pastures, you know, familiar to you in the Himalayas. Um, mm-hmm. and, and what he argues is that this movement and changes in capacities to move because of state interventions of different sorts, that forms of hybrid land use emerge. So people are having to negotiate access to land through not just private access, not just state access, not just communal access, but through hybrid forms of land tenure and land governance. And Julia Simula, who did her research in in Sardinia in Italy, looks at markets and how markets articulate with forms of mobility. So, some markets are very fixed, people supply to a cooperative or to an industry, that's a sort of more sedentary form of, of engagement. But other markets are much more mobile and much more seasonal and people have to move, move to tourist markets, move to markets that are are linked to transhuman routes and so on and so forth. So markets and mobility are intimately combined. Then Tahira Mohammed, uh, who did her work in northern Kenya, um, she looks at how patterns of movement are supported by forms of collective arrangement within Communities within pastoral communities, what she calls the moral economy of of pastoralists, and these may be gender specific, they may be age specific, they may be ethnically specific, but all of them assist people to to manage movement, to to find access to to grazing resources through networks of people that they can get connected to, often just by ringing up on a mobile phone, but. The mobile phone connects social networks and so people can move their animals to gain access to grazing uh, when a drought strikes then mastresha tay looks at insurance in um, in southern ethiopia and his chapter looks at how the the design of livestock insurance which is useful to some people doesn't off doesn't always take account of how people move because the insurance is based on a single space, a single place, and the insurance calculations and payouts and so on are associated with that particular unit. Whereas actually people are moving around and therefore the assumptions of the insurance system uh, are not always upheld. And then finally, Linda Papagallo looked at what uh, forms of mobility in Southern Tunisia, in the rapidly changing pastoral systems of Southern Tunisia. And what she connects is human mobility and livestock mobility together because people have moved from these places, often moved to migrate to different cities, either within Tunisia or abroad. But what is important about that movement is even though they are physically absent from the the space where the animals are, they're still connected. And that connection through remittance flows and through institutions that exist on the ground in Tunisia In her case, uh, she examined the khata Institution, which is a communal form of resource management, land management and labor management um, that allows mobility to persist, even if the owners of that livestock, those livestock are far away. So mobilities of humans and animals in that sense, connected. So yeah, mobility is a big theme that runs through. And as you said before, mobility... As a response to uncertainty and variability, is central to understanding pastoralism.
1: But to me, just like how you have given these multiple meanings um, of mobilities across the chapters, to me the book is a beautiful art. It's a craft of giving multiple meanings to a lot of terms that I've been reading ever since I've been introduced to pastoralism, and your own writings on pastoralism were the were the first of the first of the first that I read. So for um, not only mobility but i was fascinated to see that how multiple meanings of institutions were understood by paul's work where he spoke where he speaks about great variety within institutions and then he speaks about hy- hybrid institution that the that pastorless adjusts to to make use or access to the rangelands that they work on, or even uh, multiple meanings of pastoralism. Julia uh, stresses on the fact that there's no one pastoralism, but there are various kinds of pastoralism that she she speaks about. And also methods. I mean, there are beautiful multiple methods that uh, researchers that have worked and uh, contributed their work to the book have spoken about. And the visual methods is, is the, a chapter in itself. Can you tell us? more about the visual methods and how they were crafted as the research was happening at the time of Covid and then you we were doing all, all sort of um, making new kind of methods for the research.
2: Engaging with pastoralists, learning about pastoralism, as it were, seeing through the eyes of pastoralists requires, as you know from your own work, a, a certain set of skills. And in fact, sort of methodologically, thinking about the fluidity, the mobility, the uncertainty that exists in pastoralism requires actually a very different type of methodological approach. I mean, you can't go to a particular place, write everything down that's there, because actually, you know, things will have moved. And if you go to a particular place, you may you may miss what's going on. So, actually, following people, being engaged with people in their in their movements, thinking about how people respond to highly variegated variable landscapes is central to the research. and all of the researchers involved in pastures um got into that in their own settings, whether they're looking at markets, where they're looking at land use, where they're looking at uh, at uh, human and human migration, and so on. It's actually a very challenging form of research, and why often in the past you know conventional surveys conventional analyses from development agencies and so on haven't captured the the rich reality of of uh, pastoralism and that's why in the pastures project we use multiple methods we use i mean we use surveys yes for sure we used uh, we used uh, sort of embedded ethnographies if you like we used you know, interviews and discussions and focus groups but, as you say, one of the methods that emerged during the pro during the program was the use of visual methods. and this was this was new for me, um and it proved immensely exciting, I think, not only for for me but also for for everyone involved in the research. And it was led by two very brilliant people, Rupa Gogenene and uh, Shibaji Bose, who just came on at the beginning of the project and and ran a workshop for us because we were thinking about multiple methods. And it really, it really struck us that this is something we should run with and five, six years later, they're still working with us. Um, so there were two strands of the visual methods work. One was was simply documentary photography. I mean, taking pictures of the experiences that researchers had of the places that they, they were living in and engaging with. And the, the other was a more participatory approach called PhotoVoice, where where cameras were taken on by pastoralists and a sort of workshop-based approach uh, was developed that allowed people to take photos of things that they felt were important. Because often you know, as outsiders, even if you're you know, from the area, as many is, uh, of our researchers were, um, outsiders come with their own questions, their own perspectives, their own biases, their own ways of seeing the world But if you give a camera to somebody, that can be just a lens on a world that you can't necessarily see, and it's a way of communicating and sharing that world um, with others, with others within the community, with policymakers, and indeed with researchers. And the photo voice and the documentary photography work proved an immensely important strand of our inquiries in all of the six sites where we worked. Um because they revealed things that were hidden, they revealed things that you couldn't necessarily talk about, that we didn't necessarily have words for, and that that allowed the capacity of pastoralists to articulate things um, that might not just have normally come up with in in conversation, so for example, you know the theme of uncertainty, the central theme of of the project, very difficult to think about to describe I gave you a definition earlier on sort of technical definition but that's not necessarily the definition that somebody in the mountains of Amdo Tibet would would offer or somebody in the rangelands of northern Ethiopia they would think of uncertainty maybe through spiritual lenses or through their own experiences their own everyday um, experiences of how the world unfolds so uh the uncertainty um strand was something that we pursued quite a lot during the photo voice and there's an absolutely fabulous website called seeing pastoralism which you you i know that you know um but uh, listeners should have a have a look at because that offers a whole array of different um stories um from pastoralists own uh own points of view about how they saw the different their their different settings, and it's you know it's called seeing pastoralism for a reason. it's seeing allowing us to see pastoralism, but it's also a a way that pastoralists themselves saw pastoralism so seeing like a pastoralist i mean that's a a take on on James Scott's seeing like a state, but it's a it's a way of thinking that shifts our gaze it shifts our gaze from thinking as a development agent or as an academic researcher or as a bank or as a I don't know or as a government or state official you know pastoralism and pastoral areas are seen in different ways uh, by all these actors but seeing like a pastoralist suggests all sorts of different ways of thinking and seeing and conceptualizing the world and visual methods actually you know together with the others uh, can be an enormously powerful way of of uh, of exploring this and I'm glad to say not only do we have the website but we've got a uh, two books coming out which uh, uh, in addition to the the book that we're discussing one on one a photo book of experiences of uh, the different sites and one a guide to photo voice in pastoral areas so um, so I think uh, listeners who are interested in visual methods might find inspiration there, because I certainly did, and I think all the researchers did. And the feedback that we had in each of the sites was was fabulous. I mean, one of the things we did is we we produced newspapers. I mean, literally printed on newsprint, like a classic newspaper, of some of the photos and photo voice stories, and distributed them in the different in the different sites or had exhibitions of the newspapers hung up on strings uh, in between trees in different places. And, you know, that provided a whole set of other conversations that emerged out of the research. So it just became a process of iterating the type of inquiries that we were doing. And yeah, the chapter in the book, chapter two, is, is a summary of that, and it includes some of the photos at least in black and white, that um, that were taken there. So, uh, yeah, no, thanks for asking about that, because this was a, a new thing for me and very, very exciting.
1: Even I was very excited to see those newspapers. the first time that I met the entire team in Living Lightly Ahmedabad and had a fortunate event of attending another meeting, and exhibition at ELRIV when we had a bigish meeting in Ethiopia. Uh, you are right, actually, when when we look, when we see, like, pastoralists, so this reminds me of one of the incidents that happened uh, in my own field work, that how pastoralists see things differently, events differently. Um, actually two events, one where I've been clicked several times with my own camera by Pastorless, and that happened to be one of the most beautiful pictures ever because somehow they have this understanding if she's here there has to be a big background showing the world where she's coming from and even uh, even my own photo essay that I had written on one herder that I was, I was traveling with in Sikkim for almost a week to 10 days I was with him talking to him and then he said you know what my own my own family has never come with me in these dense forests and you are here. I want you to click uh, picture of my life, my daily life and what all I do and write about it. So he, he made sure that he was getting good pictures and I was so happy. And I published that photo essay in Himalaya Journal uh, titled A Day in a Herder's Life. So in fact, more than writing about these herders, I've always enjoyed clicking the herders and herders have enjoyed clicking me in Himalayas, across Eastern and Western Himalaya, Uh, uh, And it has
2: to be a two-way thing. I mean, it encourages that conversation, I think, because there's a a, a sort of style of photography of of pastoralism, which Mm -hmm. is a sort of coffee book, beautiful pictures of pastoralists, exoticizing pastoralists, sort of creating this idea that pastoralists are somehow other and different I think that's a terrible form of uh, of use of photography. I think it's very demeaning. Pastoralists mm-hmm. are just like the rest of us and like to interact, but they have you know different experiences to share, and and doing that visually uh, is uh, is is important. And that's why the that's why the photo book Rupa is very conscious of that. And I think we all were is not a, a picture a, a set of beautiful pictures of pastoralists in different settings, I mean, they are very beautiful, but it's pictures of everyday life. Um, yeah. Everyday life that is, is very normal. It's very, you know, it's full of objects that we know about. And yeah, I think that's a, a different way of, of communicating. And I think, I think, the, I mean, the other thing to say about the, the visual methods is it's an extraordinary route to having engagement with policy people. Because very often policy people, you know, they're coming with their suits from big cities and they're, you know, they're often very remote, even if they, even if they physically come from pastoral areas or their families do, they often don't necessarily connect. But I think the, the sort of visual material allows people to engage and gives personal stories and, you know, and a sense of reality that policymakers can uh, can engage with so yeah when we had the the uh, big conference at ilri in addis ababa it was it was fabulous to have uh, ahmed Shidi along who's finance minister former student at ids of course. Um, uh, from a, a pastoral somali background, but you know the, the visual exhibition that he opened was an opportunity to have discussions about policy questions. Um, which uh, allowed us to have that connection, which we did again in Ahmedabad. We did in at Glasgow at the COP. We did at um, in in Stockholm around the uh, uh, around another big event. We did in, in Buj in Kutch um, and, and at another Living Lightly event. And 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 we had lots and lots of these exhibitions, all of which were moments. When the world of pastoralism, the world of policy, the world of research were able to come, come together around uh, discussions around these images. So yeah, it's been a been a good part of the a, a part of the work.
0: You are listening to an episode of the IDS Between the Lines Podcast. For the full set of episodes, please visit wwwidsacuk forward slash podcast.
1: Also, the general public. I mean, it's fascinating to know that I'm come like I'm talking with my own experience. Not many people around me in India are aware of the kind of life that pastorless live. So it must have been a whole new experience to put those pictures wherever you went for the general public. And yeah, it, it's it's like a knowledge production and giving it out in the world. But just this also reminds me of my own observation that once you give the camera to a little kid, versus when you give it to somebody who is older or a female, the responses are also very different. So that's something also the book mentions somewhere. But this whole beautiful uh, work that has come out is is from pastors. Would you like to share something about the whole project and how it came about and how it emerged with time? What was the genesis of the project? And whatever you envisage about the project and where it is, since it's Closing very soon in December, looking back, how do you feel about the project and this whole world on pastoralism, development and uncertainty?
2: Well, I mean, the projects uh, emerged out of, you know, long discussions and debates that I've been having with many people over decades now. Um, I I started work on pastoralism or at least agro-pastoralism when I was doing my PhD in uh, in southern Zimbabwe, people were moving animals. I mean, they were crop farmers as well, but they were moving animals, using mobility, confronting uncertainty and so on. And, you know, one of the things that struck me when doing that work way back then was, was as I have said before, this mismatch between how, in this case, agro and policy you know their worlds are just too far. They're, they're so far apart. We had so many policies imposed on these uh, agro-pastoral peoples in Zimbabwe from outside, which was just simply not appropriate. Grazing schemes, carrying capacity limits, stocking rate management, um, pasture reinforcement—you know the whole panoply of of animal production and rangeland management interventions were being tried out by government and aid agencies and so on. And they just weren't working. I mean, there was a, just a, a, you know, a, a mismatch, as I say, a disjuncture between the realities of agropastoralism, pastoralists and pastoralists and, and these policy uh, interventions. So that took me to thinking about, well, how does that relate to, you know, wider questions of pastoralism? And so I started connecting with other people who worked on pastoralism different parts of the world, mostly in Africa initially. Um, And we we began thinking about well, what does what's what's peculiar and particular about pastoral systems? And you know, I started out my life as a biologist, ecologist. So I was interested in in what we called non-equilibrium rangeland systems. Now that's a sort of technical word for. Trying to understand variability in in these in these settings because we found that all the assumptions of range management just didn't apply to non-equilibrium systems basically because the system was so variable so up and down rainfall big uh, rainfall came one year then it was a drought then more rainfall and so on livestock populations went up and down the old standard systems of thinking climax vegetation managed stocking rates all of that stuff that you know all about because you come from a similar similar background um just you know it just didn't make sense so we had to come up with a new way of thinking about pastoralism and that was the the basis of the book that came out in 1993 called um Range, uh, what's it called, Range Ecology at Disequilibrium. It was edited together with, uh, with Roy Benke and Carol Curvin. And that, in a way, set, and it built on lots of other people's work, set in train a debate about the new ecology, the new rangeland ecology. And that, in turn, highlighted variability and uncertainty. And the book that followed, which, was, which emerged out of the same conversation, was called, actually, Living with Uncertainty. New directions uh, for livestock development in Africa, that I edited in 1995, I think. Uh, again, you know, many many years ago, um, but it just set this set of ideas off for me and others. And you know, since then there have been lots and lots and lots of people doing fantastic work in many different parts of the world. Um, So when an opportunity came to put together a project for the European Research Council, I thought, these are the themes I really want to work on. These are the themes that really bring together my interest in ecological dynamics, my interest in the failures of policy, my interest in pastoralism, and my interest in, in, you know, how to make development more effective. And so, yeah, the ERC project, I was lucky enough to get an advanced grant. Um, in 2017-18, and I worked together with Michele Nori, who's based at the uh, European University Institute. He was fin- finishing off his work on Mediterranean pastoralism at the time. So Pastros then became this collaboration between IDS in the UK and, um, and the EUI, European University Institute in Florence in Italy. And uh, we then recruited uh, six absolutely brilliant PhD students. Um, I've mentioned some of their work, um, and their work appears in all the chapters. I mean, this book, it must be said, is a collaborative book of the whole Pastres team. And each of the chapters is a sort of summary or an excerpt from their theses. These were PhD, they became, they, they en- enrolled as PhD students at IDS at the University of Sussex. And over three years, uh, which was during COVID, so challenging time to do a PhD for sure, uh, they did some absolutely brilliant research, most of them in their own home countries and indeed their own home areas. Um, and, you know, we've talked a little bit about that, that work already, but uh, you'll have to read the book um, to get more more detail of it. I don't know whether we said it's an open access book, so you can download it and have a look for free. Um, but that work, uh, which, as we've said, was in Amdo Tibet, in China, in Gujarat, in India, in northern Kenya, in southern Ethiopia, Um southern Tunisia and Sardinia and Italy, so really diverse places, which, you know, I'd never worked in many of those places before, I knew a bit about East Africa, but most of the others um, I didn't, and so it was really, really interesting to develop a comparative perspective on diverse pastoral settings, some montane some, um, you know, Mediterranean hill zones, some semi-desert, some savanna uh, areas of uh, of East Africa. So very different environments, very different political setups, very different institutional, ethnic compositions, obviously. Um, but it allowed us to ask. I mean, each of the, each of the, uh, as I've said, each of the chapter, uh, each of the theses, in each of the chapters pursues a different angle. But the one that the one that line, runs through is how does an understanding of uncertainty in pastoral settings affect how we think think about development? And what's striking, I mean, despite the diversity of settings, is that there is an emergent common narrative that emerges that that, that emerges from all of this. Um, and it's not to say that you know that there is a set of solutions that can be applied to Sardinia and, and Gujarat and, and Amdu Tibet all at the same time. No. But the basic principles, the basic understanding of how pastoralists respond to, understand, and uh navigate uncertainty, uh is mm-hmm. remarkably similar. And these principles of of mobility and hybrid land arrangements and flexible markets and so on comes through again and again and again so yeah I, you can tell i've been i found this a really exciting project fantastic group of people to work with and it wasn't just the the six phd students so people like yourself who became affiliates and and other postdocs and 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 country leads and we had a we had a great group around this this project which i think is managed to contribute a set of set of ideas, which I hope will have an influence on pastoral development globally. And I hope the book in particular provides a, a route into that.
1: It's all fascinating how you started from where you started to how this project emerged. And I have closely followed your work ever since I was introduced, I said, to pastoralism, and this new turn of uh, regional ecology and understanding that you with Roy and Carol Kevin, that you provided. It's fascinating. And there are these, these issues of policies that continue even now with the older inheritors. And we will talk about all of those in a minute. Um, and it also makes me feel now looking at the timelines that how I was also doing my field work from 2000 or my doing my PhD from 2017 onwards. I'm looking at one of these questions around pastoralism or the narratives around pastoralism where I where I tried to uh, use the empirical data of ecology, of society, to, to show that the, long, the long-term narratives around rangelands and their connection of pastoral views is, is a bit problematic. So I could have actually been your seventh PhD scholar, but anyhow, I was a bit delayed to join the team and joined you a little later, but I was very happy to join in. Um, yeah, so there are a lot of themes that that the book talks about. It talks about what are those adamant older narrative that continue to be in policy, based on which the policies are formed. And then uh, you provide in the last chapter with Michele Nori what are the alternate narratives now that the pastoralism or pastoralists should be seen with. Uh, would you like to share more about these older narrative versus the new narratives that the book proposes? Uh, for future uh, research agendas and also for the policy framework?
2: Basically, as I've said before, the the overall argument of the book is that if we take pastoralist practices um, seriously, we get a very different view. And by taking pastoralist practices seriously, we have to take, ser- take on board these ideas around variability, uncertainty, mobility, and so on. And, you know, the existing narrative of policy that is pushed by governments and aid agencies and so on, despite, you know, 30 years of work uh, that we've all been doing over uh, over all this time ch- challenging this, there's a certain lack of uh, of opening up of that debate, partly because, you know, it's convenient for policymakers and others to have a particular style of policy that is focused on management, on a, on control. Um, very often policymakers come from agrarian backgrounds. I mean, they don't understand necessarily, you know, they may be from the same country, but they don't necessarily understand what pastoralists do and how they are. As you say, you showed some of these pictures to to the general public and people are amazed. Well, that's we have pastoralists in this country. Yeah, of course we do. And they're very important Uh, components of the population providing really significant um, income to often very poor people in marginalized areas but also significant uh, contributions to the overall economy but despite that past uh, pastoral policy or development policy overall still is stuck in this old narrative and the old narrative is essentially one as as others have put it, it, that is imbued with a sedentist bias, a, a view of the sedentary, a view of control and management and 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 static views of the world. And as I've said several times, I think already, that this doesn't work in pastoral areas. So the new narrative um picks up on that and suggests, for example, around mobility, rather than thinking mobility is unproductive, it's inefficient, it's backward. That the new narrative says, well, flexible mobility, as we've discussed, is absolutely essential for living with variability, both for animals and humans. Around land use and the environment, we've discussed this already. That you know, standard land use planning, for example, says land use needs to be demarcated; it needs to be controlled. That you know, that um, pastoralists are destructive of the environment; they cause desertification. Whereas the new narrative that takes on board these ideas from non-equilibrium ecology says, well, no, actually pastoralists are not necessarily degraders of the environment. They can be positive for the environment. They can enhance biodiversity. They can be very much part and parcel of a dynamic non-equilibrium environment as long as mobilities are allowed to, to persist. But this needs hybrid flexible systems that allow people to move and respond to this variability. So this doesn't mean putting up fences and keeping people in a particular place. It means, as Palden Tsering uh, describes for Amdo Tibet, hybrid land governance across mosaics of landscape. Very different way to thinking about land use conventionally. I mean, there's a big debate, as you know, around livestock and the, cli- the climate. Livestock are very often regarded as you know, the climate villains. They produce methane, well, they, ruminant livestock, of course, do, and therefore are, are cast as always part of the negative elements of, of, of the livestock story. But actually, what we point out in a series of, of papers and, and, uh, and blogs and videos and so on that we've tried to contribute into the COP processes over the last few years is that we need to, to differentiate, you know, uh, for sure, contained industrial livestock systems are very damaging to the environment and to the climate. No question about that. But actually, if we differentiate and ask, well, which livestock where, extensive livestock systems can actually sequester carbon. They can actually be very positive for the environment uh, if managed uh, correctly. So, and the same applies to diets. Again, there's a sort of general view that, you know, Uh, consuming livestock products is necessarily bad. Now, I mean, there there are various religious prohibitions. I have no problem with that for eating livestock uh, products. Um, And certainly in the global north, I mean, in the UK and the US in particular, overconsumption of livestock products is definitely bad for people's health. But that doesn't mean to say that everyone everywhere should stop eating livestock products. You know, there isn't the sense we have to be a bit more nuanced here because actually livestock products are massively important for a whole suite of micronutrients. They're obviously vital for protein um, and the bioavailability of those nutrients is, is much higher in livestock products than it is in, in plant products. And that's why, you know, in many parts of the world, actually boosting Uh, consumption of livestock products is is essential for diets and 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 healthy and we can think about markets you know the conventional narrative about markets is to uh is to control um is to the conventional narrative about markets is to control is to is to modernize is to create these different types of market setup that are very much you know the image of, of of modern markets, but actually, as we find, as Julia Simler's work and many others' uh, work within the Pastres Projects uh, showed, pastoral markets are incredibly efficient, incredibly flexible, incredibly responsive, and actually supporting that dynamic is important. I mean, I could go on. We, could, we you know, there are standard uh, narratives around conflict. There are standard narratives around disasters. And if you take a pastoral lens, think about pastoralism in a new way, taking variability and uncertainty as central, we have a very different way of thinking that needs to be central to policy. And as you say, that final chapter tries to bring all those lessons together from the variety of empirical cases and, uh, and you know, presents that as a, as a new narrative, um, a new narrative that can be applied in Europe in In different parts of Asia, in different parts of Africa, um, and indeed elsewhere in the world, uh, that can be you know a much more productive, much more effective form of development in these massively important uh, areas across the world.
1: Fascinating, fascinating. It's all like the summary how it's been it's been developed in the book in the final chapter it's it's really something. Something for everyone, for researchers, for policymakers, for everyone. And in fact, the timing of the book and the output, we are close to the international year for Rangelands and pastoralists, which Johan has declared 2026 to be, which is kind of a celebration uh, for the communication and advocacy campaign to increase the global awareness of the importance of pastoralists. And arrangements for global food security, climate mitigation, and the book very well gets a dip into that and directly answers kind of all these questions which have been revolving around pastoralism for past uh, three decades or more than that. That so it's actually at the right time and all these all these beautiful alternative that you have provided is quite uh, fascinating. Um, what what is that one thing that you you think that students can take out or I mean, for policymakers, yes, of course, but for somebody who's like a student who's just starting to understand past of course, it's the first beautiful introduction to pastoralism globally. But what else? that one thing that you you think that students especially should be reading this book for?
2: I mean, the important thing about uh, about the book is that it covers a huge array of different different areas. And the argument is, of course, that by shifting our way of thinking, each of those areas needs to be rethought. So if you're a student of any particular area and thinking of working in pastoral areas or areas where pastoralism is part of a, of a livelihood system, I do encourage you to read it because I think you know the, the case studies and the, the, the overarching analysis that brings some of the things together... Really does suggest a different way of different way of thinking and different way of going about it, and it will require if you're a student a research student. Um, and if you're embarking on a project, as we discussed earlier, uh, to think about methodologies in a very different way. Um, don't carry with you those biases of the, the mainstream narrative uh, and don't carry with you the biases of a, a sort of fixed sedentary view of methodology think how you can adjust your your methodology for research to pastoral settings settings and above all learn from pastoralists men women young old um, people who are you know herding goats in the furthest corners of of the mountains uh, and those who are out in the dry lands of the deserts um, can reveal enormous insights into Variable environments and how to cope with them. And, you know, one of the big themes of, of pastoralists is that this isn't just of interest to people who are interested in pastoralism. I mean, it is of interest to people interested in pastoralism and pastoral areas. And as I've tried to say, this is, this is an important part of the world's, you know, global production systems and livelihood systems. But I think we can all learn from pastoralists because we're all facing different forms of uncertainty. Um, we don't go into this, this in the book too much, but, you know, uncertainty is a part and parcel of all of our lives. We've just through, been through a massive pandemic where, you know, in different parts of the world, people are confronting war and conflict. Um, the financial crash of 2008-9 disrupted economies globally. Uncertainty is very much part and parcel of how we live. So, and we're not very good at it. We, we, we expect... Through our sort of modernist outlook to have plans to have management to have control, but very often that's not possible and development very often fails because it assumes that is possible. But again, a different mindset, a different paradigm, a different way of thinking learning from pastoralists. Could help us in all of those domains. Think about disaster responses differently. Think about pandemic responses differently. Think about migration policy differently. Think about how we go about uh, managing the climate differently and managing environmental um, resources differently. So you know, wherever you're thinking, wherever your work lies, even if it's not on pastoralism per se. I think lessons from pastoralists can be really, really important, and I think for development in general, um, I think, uh, you know, the insights from the pastoralist program and work like your your own and many, many others uh, can be really, really crucial. And that's why, you know, I'm so glad you mentioned the International Year of Rangeland and Pastoralists, which comes up in 2026. Because it's a really key moment, you know, recognized by the United Nations, backed by many member states. Um, It's a really key moment for governments, civil society, pastoralists themselves to say, hey, you know, pastoralism is a really, really, really important livelihood across the world. The environments that pastoralists manage are vitally important for the climate and for biodiversity, that products from pastoral areas feed Millions globally and are incredibly important for their nutritional value, and that we can all learn from pastoralism as we confront an increasingly uncertain and turbulent world.
0: Thanks for listening. Please subscribe and share to help us spread the word. Do you have a feature that you would like to appear in a future episode? Then get in touch on email at between the lines at ids.ac.uk.